You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wine, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is. Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Georgina Cross on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Nanny Needed, and this is an absolute must-have for your to-be-read pile. If if you want to get your fall started off in the right way, and you know it's it's October now when you're hearing this, and uh, you know, we we all want uh, those those great uh, kind of spooky vibes to kick off uh, our October, and this this will definitely get you in the mood. Nanny Needed is a must read. Go grab it today. Welcome to the show, Georgina. Well, thank you for having me. It's just fun. I'm so excited to have you, uh, Georgina. We begin each show with the same question, and that question is. What is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, So my dad, he's a former ship captain, uh, went to shipping school in Wales. He's from England. And so he's had quite an interesting life as well. And I remember when we were growing up in New Orleans, he was gone quite a bit uh, to travel Central America, um, Asia, and he was no longer on the ship, but his travels obviously dealt with other shipping companies. And he brought home these two hand-carved wooden desks from Honduras. And they came on one of the ship's cargo freight carrier, and uh, he brought it back to New Orleans. And I remember him putting one in my room, one in my sister's room, and our names were carved in the back. And, you know, my sister loved her desk, but I was obsessed with this desk. And sat there and did all of my schoolwork. I was kind of that nerdy kid, loved to take copious notes, and I loved to write short stories at this desk, and um, we still have it. My, In fact, my son, he <laughs> had it in his bedroom, I think until eighth grade, and he was like, Mom, this thing is <laughs> tiny, and it has your name on the back of it, you know? And, and so I was like, all right, we'll get you a big boy desk. Um, but it's in my office now. I still have it, and but yeah, I think that was the setting, right? It just, I needed a place to work. And at a very young age, I, I think I already started feeling that I wanted to write. I love that. So Georgina, the, I hear stories like that. And I love that you have a tangible um, piece of your your history that you can touch and and remind you of that time at the desk is, is an amazing you know, touch point that that puts you back in contact with that feeling in those times. I love that. Absolutely. Um, but I hear stories, you know, similar to yours where where people realize early on that they are storytellers and that they are going to write mm-hmm. books one day and they're going to they're going to have their stories out there for the rest of the world. Most people have no idea how that's ever going to happen. They just know innately that they are storytellers. Um, What I love to hear are the sort of circuitous routes that people's lives go through before writing comes back around and finds them again. I I know that you, through conversations we've had, have had a 
um, a pretty storied life and you've done all sorts of things and you have, um, you know, been involved career wise with things that that feel like they have nothing to do with writing. Um, but you know, what was it that that brought writing back around to you? Another great question. You must do this for a living. Uh, so, <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, you know, the in as a kid, like I was saying, I, I, I love to write and I wasn't very um, extroverted, though. I, I completely changed in eighth grade uh, and, and in high school. But as a kid, I was quiet and had a huge imagination. And the very first book I ever wrote was me and my alien friend. And I mean, I'm talking I did all the illustrations, you know, made sure that on the cover it said I had illustrated it wrote these little uh, passages and that was the very first book me and my alien friend and um and then from there just i kept writing but it was always a hobby and so when i when i got into high school i joined the newspaper group at school and i remember thinking i don't know if i can make a career out of writing um it'll just be on the back burner something i'll do as as like i said a hobby and so i thought well i'll go into a paycheck and um, so and I love the newspaper print world. And then in college, I went to LSU. So I got into TV journalism and interned at several TV stations, but always wrote, um, also worked at a couple of newspapers. And, you know, truth be told, the writing fell by the wayside in college in terms of novels and fiction, but I love to read. And I re- read a lot of women's fiction, not suspense, interestingly enough, which is what I write now, but I love always have loved scary movies. I could watch scary movies year round. And then <laughs> the month of October, it's like the mega of, of scary movie binging, which is why I love that Nanny Needed is coming out. You know, it's in October month, oh, which yeah. is like perfect. It's just perfect. And so, but it fell by the wayside. I, I worked, I had my career. And then as a lot of TV news people do, we realize we're not making as much money as we thought we, we could. And we're not climbing to you know the bigger markets as fast as we want and uh so a lot of us roll out and we go into marketing and communications and pr jobs and because i live in huntsville so we're the rocket city and um a lot of the the jobs are airspace and defense contracting and so i fell into that in terms of proposals and talk about not being creative at all <laughs> i found myself working bid and proposal, uh, business development, uh, B&P, and it was fun in terms of the team camaraderie. I learned a lot. I mean, this was, this was, you know, working at a couple of smaller businesses and nonprofits to all of a sudden being in a, in a fairly large contracting company. And I learned a lot about management, a lot about personalities. I matured quite a bit in my thirties, um, being there, but I always felt like this is not anything I'm even interested in. Uh, and that was weird. That was really an odd place to be where we would put together these proposals. And yeah, I had to edit them and go, you know, and market them and uh, write the press releases. But I didn't actually know. It's like what I could compare it to is, and how I would explain my job to other people is I was the magazine editor. So I would have to pull all the bits and pieces from the scientists and the tech writers and then graphics had to create these things. And then somebody had to book boss this part and we had management volumes and then somebody had to do all the pricing. So I had all the parts and pieces to bring into this magazine and I could make the cover beautiful and I could make sure it was all compliant and looked nice. But I couldn't tell you what the actual magazine was talking about. I had no idea the technical <laughs> terms. I couldn't even, you know, some of it was um, 
was way out of my uh, my knowledge level. And then some of the work was uh, top secret. So obviously I wasn't a part of, of those projects. And I just, after, you know, nine years of that, I thought, okay, if I am ever going to write a book, it needs to be now as I'm approaching middle age, you know, <laughs> so like four <laughs> years old, I was like, it's got to happen now. Um, maybe before it's too late. I, ha- I felt that strongly. And uh, I know this is such a long answer to your question, but I started saying, okay, this is no longer going to be a hobby. It's either make it or break it time. And I'll work five, day- five days a week at my job. I have got my two kids. And on the weekends when the children do not have basketball, which of course they signed up for travel, basketball and baseball. So it's year round. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So anytime I could like the dad could take them to the, to the games and practices, or I could get a grandparent roped in um, Saturdays and Sundays were sacrosanct that those were my writing days and nobody could touch them. The door was shut to my bedroom. The kids knew not to bother me. Go get your own breakfast, figure it out. Mom will be out later. Um, and I really, I cut off friends and activities. I know that sounds awful, but I had to make it a priority if I wanted to make this happen. So yeah, that's that's really what it came down to was um, making Saturdays and Sundays my writing days. Well, you know, when you when you say um, cutting off friends and family and, and and things like that to to hold that sac- sacrosanct, um, you, you know, you said, you know, I know that sounds horrible to do that, but. But, you know, th- we're not talking about forever. You're talking about for a period of time that you had set a, aside to pursue your goal. And I, I think that's just as important um, because those friends and family will be there if they're, you know, true friends. And they'll, oh. un- you know, <laughs> you know, hopefully. Um, but, the, you know, sometimes you just have to make those hard decisions. Like, I'm going to get this done or, you know, we all know life will get away from you and it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And there were times I felt as if, okay, this is only going to be for the next year or two years or maybe even three years. Um, but you're right. It, it was a temporary-ish uh, situation. And I've read so much about this, too, because uh, somebody said, you know, in writing and especially in entrepreneurship, there is a – not that writing is – I mean, we are a single business um uh, companies, if you really think about it, we're like single business entities as authors, it's running a business as well. And I've heard that that you, there, t- there are times you have to almost be selfish. And when yeah. I first heard that word, it really irritated me and upset me a little bit. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, that's, it's selfish in a, in a positive, you know, make any sense. We have to make, if, if we want to do anything, whether it's writing, whether it's um, going to med school, whether it's going to visit, whatever you want to do, becoming the best chef there is, you, you've got to decide to make it a priority in order for it to work. And it takes hours and uh, day after day after day of working it. And there are no overnight success stories, really. And um, so that was that was my mindset. I thought, OK, I, I've got to make this a priority. And I told everybody and I think my parents were like, "Ugh, you know, whatever. And certainly my kids, <laughs> they, I remember them coming into my bedroom, even if the door was shut and they'd be like, Mom, you know, you're who knows when you'll ever publish a book? And I was like, I don't know if I'll ever publish a book, but I won't know until I try. Well, and every, yeah, and, and every overnight success that um, 
that that I've ever talked to is usually a decade in the making. Yes. Yep. That's a decade overnight success in the making. Yeah, it's it's true. And, and, um, and I, you know, we say these stories not to make people get upset or to think, oh, my gosh, I've got to do this grind for years. I think it's just it's important to be realistic. And I think it's important to know what this takes and do you have what it takes, right? Because it's not just talent. It's not just being the best chef. It's not just being the best writer or the best student in med school. And it's about doing it and showing up every single day if you're going to make it um, a reality. And it's a lot of hard work, but, but you know, there was a goal. And so I knew I wanted to publish, get published. And, um, and now that I've been published, it's like, yes, that was absolutely worth it. You know, and I see my friends now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I come out, I come outside, you know, periodically <laughs> and, uh, no, I, they, they've been really supportive. They get it. They know that this has been a commitment for me. Well, and, and not only that, not, not only is it important to understand the work that goes in, but it's important to honor the process that, that this is, you know, the, the, the time that's put in is what's going to make the stories, uh, you know, jump off the page at people and, and you, you have to honor the process. Right. And, right. And also because, you know, all those weekends of writing that first book, we have not sold that book. Um, that's how I landed my agent, but we were not able to sell it. We had 10 rejections. And of course, to me, I was like, oh my God, 10 rejections. And my agent was like, do you know how many editors are out there that you haven't even? And I was like, nope. You know, I've learned so much from this process because writing every weekend is it's like practicing, right? You're just constantly practicing and I think like a lot of authors you've probably spoken with there's stuff on our hard drives and on the cloud and google docs that will never see the light of day oh yeah right and it's all practicing to get to the manuscript that might sell um and the manuscript that will sell really well perhaps and so that's how I saw it I was always like okay if this one doesn't sell the next one might and that kept me in the game. And I think it's just, you know, I was really driven at this point. And um, and they always tell you this too, as you're out on submission, keep writing in the background because you'll go crazy waiting and waiting. And um, also it's good practice like we were just talking about. So I, I, was, I kept writing another manuscript and the newer one, I thought, okay, I've learned so much from the editor feedback. Those 10 editors that said, no, this isn't for us. And, you know, several of them were really good and offered some um, some points that they wanted to, to highlight of how it could have improved. And my agent was like, why don't you just go back and make those revisions? And I thought I could and I still might. I, this other book, I, it's still there. I still want to get to it eventually. But um, but in but in the process, I had been writing something else and I was really excited about the newer one. And I had been pulling in the editorial feedback from these other folks. So I felt like, okay, with each manuscript, it's getting a little bit better. I kind of know what I'm doing a little bit better <laughs> every time. So Georgina, um, you said that when you were, uh, when you would read, you were reading a lot of women's fiction or um, maybe what we would uh, you know, refer to as literary fiction. Um, but you loved suspenseful movies and you loved, you know, you, you by your own admission, you would love to to watch scary movies all year round. Um, 
your your three books that you published, The Stepdaughter, The Missing Woman, and Now Nanny Needed that we're talking about, um, you know, fit very firmly in the suspense thriller category. Um, when did you realize that that this was going to be your genre uh, that you wrote in? Did, was it did you try to to write literary and then, you know, then come around to this? Um, tell me a little bit about finding your place in in the genre that you love. Okay, yeah, another great question. So in high school and college, I read a lot of Anita Shreve. I mean, I just adored her books, very women's fiction, um, very dramatic. And some of her storyline, you know, now when I look back on it, her, some of her storylines were so dramatic, they were, they were suspenseful. So maybe there was that part of me percolating. I just didn't realize it at the time. I just thought, I like women's fiction. And that, so that's what I dabbled with um, in my high school years and then into my 20s. The manuscripts that will never see the light of day, uh, <laughs> they are very much my attempts at writing women's fiction. The problem was with me is I felt like at the time, especially I didn't plot. So I've learned painfully that I need to plot better. Um, but at the time I wasn't plotting. So the stories would just meander. And, and if I didn't have an ending or a, a loop, I felt like it could just go on forever. So what was the point? Like I, I, I lost interest and it would just kind of just end after chapter 20, you know, which was such a shame. And um, it lost my interest. So I thought, well, if, if I've lost interest, my God, the reader's gonna lose interest. So, you know, that would just go back on on, on Google Drive and there we have it. And then um, I started writing short stories around so my a best friend of mine she passed away from cancer and afterwards we a group of us created a nonprofit called Susie's Wish in her memory and we send patients with life-threatening illnesses to the beach and that had been Susie's last wish she was tv news like us and um she didn't get to make it to the beach she passed away the night we were leaving and so the group of us thought, okay, we'll create this nonprofit. And in the process of doing it, I was interviewed. I mean, this is local media, so it wasn't anything huge. But through that experience of storytelling, I was like, I need to write down everything that I'm experiencing because this grief has just hit me. And um, so I wrote a short story about Susie. And there are people that just couldn't even read it. It was just too difficult. But from that experience, I thought, okay, that was cathartic. And that story may never see the light of day, except for the few close friends that were able to read it. Um, but I'll start writing other short stories because I've, I've got the bug maybe again. And also, you know, as I was talking about earlier, I'm working aerospace and defense and I'm putting together proposals and um, and completely missing the creativity bug for my life. And one of my short stories definitely veered on the suspense. And I had a family member read it and said, this could be a full length book. And I just looked at them like they're crazy because at the time, especially with the kids activities in my job, the the thought of writing a book is very daunting. You know, it's just, it's a huge process. And I thought, no, there's no way I'll just do short stories. Um, those are at least like, I can handle those. But the comment didn't let go of my head and particularly the story. And so that's the one I wrote. I, I turned into a full length book. That's the one that didn't sell. Um, but it was based on something that happened when my mom and I went for a walk in the neighborhood and we heard police sirens and being nosy. This is like 1980s. <laughs> Wait, what's going on? And we walked down the street and um, unfortunately there was a domestic incident and 
the man killed his wife in the front yard. And so uh, my mom quickly, you know, brought me back home and was like, I, you know, if I would have known what we were going to see, we wouldn't have walked down there. But that's the short story that turned into a, a full length novel. And then from there, I was like, that's interesting because I actually finished it. That's interesting because I had to finish it because there was an ending to solve or there was a, a arc that I felt compelled to finish and it was intriguing to me. So if I can finish this, then ooh, suspense is maybe the way I need to go. And from that point on, I was hooked with suspense writing. And I don't know if I'll ever change, to be quite honest. I love it so much. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Hub-site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. What Death Taught Taryn by Derek McFadden. Life is a journey, so is the afterlife. At the end of his life, Terrence McDonald must discover its meaning or he'll be banned from the afterlife forever and his soul will cease to exist. Join Terrence and those who love him on a poignant and unforgettable journey through a life at once wonderful and harrowing. Learn what Terrence learned. See what Terrence sees. By this provocative story's end, readers may even learn a thing or two about themselves. See why people are saying things like, Derek McFadden writes with an insight you can match. If you like the works of Mitch Album, I think you'll find What Death Taught Terrence a worthy addition to your library and the reading of it, a life-affirming journey. I found the story immediately immersive and it stuck with me long after I finished. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden on sale now. Did you find in writing that story and then, you know, it just uh, I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, uh, but it, it I, I kind of know the feeling that you talk about the, the story just 
kind of feels alive and you're and you're chasing it and um you know as opposed to writing things that that maybe are not your wheelhouse and it feels like it's work um did was your creative process different in in writing a suspense story as opposed to the other things that you had been writing did you find that the story just you know came to you and and came out in a different way I was a lot more interested in my own writing. And that is, I think, the key. B- besides the, the the grit and the patience and having the thick skin as a writer to deal with editorial feedback and reviewer feedback, I think there's this magical component in it that's so important, which is I was actually interested in my own storytelling because, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I was chasing it down and 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 um, the, the book I wrote was a fictionalized interpretation of what I thought happened with this family and what led to this domestic dispute and why did he end up killing his wife in the way that he did. Um, He hit her with a car. He actually chased her in the front yard and pinned her against the tree. And she was wearing this white nightgown. And I've never forgotten the image. Um, And so I just, I thought, okay, if I'm enjoying the fictional, you know, my imagination is running away with me. If I can enjoy the story arc then surely somebody else reading it might enjoy it too. Um, and so that point on, I just started reading. I, almost now, I, I'm pretty much all fiction. Um, it, it, suspense fiction is what I read. It's, you know, serial killer shows and documentaries. Uh, Netflix has so many to choose from. But I, I think because my head is constantly, with the, the amount of books that I'm, I'm putting out right now, my head is constantly in this suspense thriller world, so I, I need to keep my head going that way. Every once in a while, I'll take a break. Like, I'm reading Sally Rooney's latest, um, Beautiful World, Where Are You? And that's definitely a palate cleanser, you know? So occasionally, yeah. I need to do something like that. But for the most part, my husband walks in the living room, and he's like, I don't know if you've seen that SNL skit that makes fun of women, <laughs> right? <laughs> Have you seen it? I know what you're talking about, yeah. That's me. <laughs> that's so funny. I felt like that was me and some of my best friends. I don't know what's wrong with us, but, um, but there's a market for it, you know? So I I got lucky. I I stumbled into something that I wanted to finish and I was finishing the manuscript. So that's super helpful. You can't sell anything unless it's finished. And then, um, and I'm, I genuinely enjoy reading that kind of work. And then, and there are people who also are interested in reading it and enjoy it. One thing that I love to talk about is um, the beginnings of things and how a story um, comes into being. In one moment, Nanny Needed does not exist in any way, shape, or form. There's nothing about it that exists. And then either, uh, you know, a character walks, uh, you know, onto the stage of your mind. Maybe it's the character of Sarah. Um, and and you start asking yourself, well, who is this character? What is she doing? Um, you know, why is she doing this? And then, you know, the story starts unfolding. Or maybe you are watching a documentary or a news uh, story and and you start playing the what if game in your mind. And then, you know, Sarah walks, you know, on, onto the stage and then, you know, you, you start chasing it down. And then in in some way, Nanny Needed does exist that, you know, it just comes to being. And then you as the writer start excavating that story and 
digging it out and, you know, shaping it. And then, you know, one day we're holding it in our hands and, and, and here it is. But what is that moment, that spark of inspiration that, that begins the story for you? Uh, gosh, you have great questions. Uh, so for Nanny Need in particular, because I know that's the focus for this interview, which is, I'm so excited about. But, but for Nanny Need in particular, it was my sister living in New York City. And when we would visit her, we would go on these huge long walks. And, you know, it's the best way to see most cities, yeah. especially New York. And we would walk and walk and walk. And my parents, we'd, we'd all walk together and we'd find ourselves in the Upper West Side or Upper East Side. And I remember just, again, imagination always running wild. I'm standing on the sidewalk, peering up at these apartment buildings, these ginormous brownstones, and then these huge apartment buildings with the, you know, doorman at the front in the beautiful coat and white gloves, and then peering up to the very top to the penthouse and wondering, what are those families' lives like? Um, what do their penthouses look like? Because, you know, you'd hear that some of these penthouses are three, four stories tall with living right, which is crazy crazy and just trying to think of that world or the worlds of these families and i would you know look up at these penthouses and my imagination would run wild and i think i wonder if they're happy and then one day i remember looking up and going but what if they're not and that was the spark i was like okay so i'm dun, going dun, dun. to set yeah dun, dun, dun. i'm going to set it in this penthouse um but what's going to, what's going to happen in this penthouse? And I love the idea that I, along with thousands of people, could be walking down the street and be looking up at them and thinking they've got everything and they must have such a wonderful life. And the idea that behind those, you know, burgundy drapes that cost tens of thousands of dollars, there is this like hell going on or this mysterious world going on or that um it's really not a wonderful place it's like a gilded cage and um so from there i thought okay well i love that so how am i going to uh, make that into a story and i i read a short story about um a tutor who was hired to tutor um for this family and i loved the premise of that like okay an outsider coming into this penthouse and that's how they get this point of view of this this crazy family let's make it a nanny and then from there i was like okay it's a nanny and off we went um and yeah it is crazy when you think about it it's like where did the spark of the idea and then you finally get the printed copies and go how did this happen <laughs> i really write all this and there's you know 300 something pages but it is cool it is really cool how that all works out Absolutely. Um, one thing that's become uh, sort of a hallmark of the suspense or thriller genre um, is the the twist. And, um, you know, it's like every book we pick up has to try to outdo the last one, you know, and then and when Gone Girl came along, um, you know, we've got the unreliable narrator and and you can only do that so much um you know before readers start seeing it coming you know well you know do i really believe this person and you know and you you're turning pages and you're just looking for the twist and and then it becomes kind of anticlimactic when it you know because we're we're so psyched up for it um how do you um you know think about things like that you know misdirecting the readers um you know giving readers uh 
pulling the rug out from under us, uh, if you if you will, without just seeming cheesy and over the top and, you know, like a Ringling Brothers, you know, circus. You know, how do you prevent that from happening while giving us genuine shocks that that has to be a, a hard thing to pull off over and over again? And it's getting harder. You know, I think that authors are starting to feel it more and more. I was just at a, a conference aptly named Killer Nashville um, <laughs> in Nashville. You know, when I think about the people who came into the hotel, the other guests, and they're like, these people are at a killer. Na-. I mean, we must have seemed insane. <laughs> right. Uh, Right. Like, why? What's wrong with them? And, you know, here's like hundreds of us. Oh, but one of the panel discussions, so I, I was on five different panel discussions. And one of them, we talked about this very discussion point. And it's 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 definitely something I'm concerned about. This is my third book in, in a year. So um, I'm, maybe I'm feeling it more than other authors because I've had to come up with crazy twists and <laughs> three times in, in a year. Um, and then I just turned in two other books because um, I'm with two different publishers so it is a concern it's how are we going to keep coming up with twists that are unique how are we not going to get exhausted of the idea ourselves because that's that's a concern if the author burns yeah. so burning out you know how like you said how do we come up with stuff that the reader is not like that was so outrageous and just throws the book across the floor and says you know they're just pulling stuff out of the air now to, to, for shock and value purposes, that's not cool. And so, yeah, it's becoming a concern of, um, you know, what hasn't been thought of yet, <laughs> or, you know, is there going to be a point where we run out of ideas? I don't know. It seems to me, you know, and, and especially the suspense, suspense genre is, is so hot and it's been hot for a while. And I think it, the marketplace is still going to go strong for a few more years, hopefully fingers crossed. Um, but how are we going to come up with twists that that our readers don't see coming because they're really smart you know i think we we and I will, i'll read books obviously as an author i'm reading friends books and i i know there's going to be a twist coming like we're all expecting it now we've kind of spoiled the readers to expect the twist and there's that um pressure i think um where what if we don't deliver you know and and then you start he- reading reviews where it was like it just wasn't as shocking to me at the end. Um, and they're reading 200 pages, just waiting breathlessly for this insane moment or moments to happen. And, you know, what if they're not as shocked? And then they ding us in a review. So, yeah, it is it is a concern in the suspense genre. Um, and, you know, you, you hear enough of us will we'll read a, about a book or somebody has a concept and we're like, dang it, why did we think of that one? <laughs> you know, uh, no, you know, they they come up with like but I think with all create creative endeavors there is no it's hard these days to think of what's the original concept there doesn't seem to be like anything that's genuinely original anymore we all kind of copy off of each other and there's a book I read uh, what is his name Austin somebody he's out of Texas but he wrote a book about like stealing like a thief or creativity like a thief. It's something something along those lines. And he means it in a good way. We are all inspired by art and we pull from each other's work. Absolutely. And you see how you see what I mean? And, and from there, we're not technically stealing. Um, 
we're inspired, so we'll adapt. Sure. We'll hear something and we'll adapt it. Um, but it would be cool to come up with something super unique. And I think that's why Gone Girl was such a, was so popular and continues to be like the one that everybody mentions. Um, because up until that point, we hadn't really had that crazy of a twist yet. And good old Gillian Flynn has kind of like raised the bar way too high for the rest of us. So thanks a lot, Gillian Flynn. Thanks a lot. Thanks yeah, a lot. Thanks a lot. You mentioned that that Nanny Needed is the third book that you published in a year, and you just turned in two more. Um, when you know, when you think back to that that moment where you had to make the decision for yourself, you know, am I going to take this um, as seriously as it needs to be taken for me to succeed, uh, or you know, is this going to be a hobby that I dream about for the rest of my life? Do Do you look back and and think? Um, Wow, this is a roller coaster. And you know, um, like, what what are your plans for the future? Yeah, it's definitely been a roller coaster. I mean, I can't lie and say that there were times where I thought, I don't know if this is going to happen if I'll ever get published. You know, my agent, she was with me for four years um, before we sold anything, and um, which is huge testament that she was like, no, it's going to happen. We're so close. We're so close. And I felt it too. I was like, okay, we're so close. Um, and as soon as she sold, so last January is when she sold it. So this is January, 2020. She sold a two book contract to uh, a, a publishing group called Bookature and they're under Hachette publishing. And, um, that was the stepdaughter. And then I was contracted to write the missing woman because of their timelines. I had to write the missing woman in under three months, which was insane. But the adrenaline of, Oh my goodness, I actually have a publishing contract. Well, a month and a half after uh, we signed the two book contract, I had this other manuscript in the works that I had been like, we were talking about earlier. They always say, make sure you're working on something in, you know, in the meantime and, keep practicing and keep coming up with something. And I had the idea for Nanny Needed. So I said, hey, I've got this manuscript. What do you think? And my agent was like, oh my God. And so she loved it. I mean, more she was more excited about it than, than the other two books. And so I thought, okay, we've got something. And then in less than a month, she sold it to Penguin Random House. So here I was, I had a full-time job and I'm thinking, how am I going to <laughs> do this uh, because now I have contractual deadlines to meet. And um, that's how I have three books in a year. You know, I don't, I, I wouldn't recommend it for most people. I think I said yes to everything because I was like, <laughs> I've been waiting four years, yeah. really my whole life for this moment. And we're going to just write it all. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll leave my full-time job and go to something part-time and at least have a paycheck there that I can depend on. Because as you know, publishing world, these contracts, the payment structures are so spread out. Right. Um, and I was contacted by someone that I had worked with through the Chamber of Commerce and a lot of our DC trips, um, trying to get the FBI to come down here. And she and I had a really good relationship. And she said, hey, I would love to write a book about my upbringing and how I started my company and a lot of the pitfalls I went through. And um would you be interested in ghostwriting it for me? And I'll hire you like a part-time staff person for the rest of the year. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This couldn't be better timing. However, 
So I was able to stay home. It's COVID. My kids are homeschooled. So it was working out that I was with them and making sure they weren't like surviving on spaghetti and meatballs only. And I'm, but I'm now having to turn in this book for her as well and interview all 10 of her siblings and her coworkers. And um, she does a lot in the community, both she and her husband. So I turned that book in November, but then I signed another two book deal with Bookature under Hachette Publishing. And I turned in that manuscript in February. And then I signed another deal with Penguin Random House. And that's the manuscript I just turned in last week. Yes. So I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, I'm exhausted. I love it, but it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And, um, but the way I look at it is this is my full-time gig. You know, I, right. I, I, I work seven days a week. Um, I absolutely through this experience have discovered that I am a workaholic. I knew that I think before, but it, this has cemented it because my husband's like, I thought you were going to take maybe Sunday off. And I'm like, no, because <laughs> here's the deal. Like if everybody's sleeping, the kids are sleeping, um, they're older now. So they're, you know, they sleep and sleep. I might as well go and write for a few hours. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to take a break soon. I think I'm, you know, we've got the launch of Nanny needed, which is awesome. And there's interviews and launch activities, but then I'm going to take a few days off. <laughs> are, are you a, um, uh, uh, a, a person that needs to to hit a certain word count per day or um or, or can you just pick up the story right for as long as you have stop writing come back to it later um you know do, do you hold those those times those writing spurts as as sacred and and they need to accomplish a particular thing or are you someone that can just kind of come and, and do whatever work you have time for yeah yeah i i think when I was trying to get published, the way I approached it is I, I only have Saturday and Sunday. So I would time block, you know, block out my calendar. And that was very much, I was writing based on time. I've given myself six to seven hours every Saturday and every Sunday. Cause then I knew maybe the next Saturday there was a basketball tournament. So that was going to reduce my, my output. And so it was in the beginning, it was based on time. Once the contracts hit in 2020, I didn't have a choice, but to write, based on word count, like I had to hit word count um, in order to make the, these deadlines. And so that was interesting because now I'm having to pound out my words and then pound out the editing. But, I, you know, I'll work from probably like 7 a.m. till about one or two. And that's when my eyes are like crossing. So <laughs> I know there's a point, you know, my dad's always like there's a cutoff point where you just know the output you could go and grind this out for another four hours but the quality is going to be awful and so there's got to be a point where you just cut yourself off and so yeah one or two i'm like i'm done and i can tell i'm done and i i'll just get up in the morning and start off fresh so yeah it's definitely word count i'd love to get to a point um where maybe i don't bite off more than i can chew and stop <laughs> signing all these contracts which is a great thing to have like i can't believe i'm even saying that but um, I'd love to get to a point where it's more about the, the t I can go back to, I've got six to seven hours today and I'm just going to make these 1000 words amazing. I'd love to get back to that. Um, but right now I'm in, you know, I gotta hit this deadline. I've gotta turn this in. So we're, we're cranking, we're grinding. Well, and 
and we're all happy that you are. Uh, Nanny Needed is an absolute gem of a book. I'm recommending it to everyone this fall. Uh, there's going to be links to it in the show notes of this episode and where people can you know, go grab it from Amazon in either paperback or Kindle or audiobook or go visit your local bookstore and you know put your money local and uh, we need to keep bookstores in business. I, I know they've had a hard time. Um, but Georgina, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you've got going on and, and great stuff coming, um, where can they follow along with you online? So website for sure, Georgina-Cross-Author.com, but definitely Instagram, Georgina Cross Author. Twitter, I, I'm a little bit on Twitter. I'm trying to get better at G Cross Author and then Facebook for sure. Um, Instagram's like the happy place, I think, for a lot of authors yeah. these days. So that's been a really, really cool spot. Yeah, Twitter can be a bit of a dumpster fire, but uh, all the good vibes are over at Instagram, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Twitter, <laughs> it's like speaking into the void. I mean, I know all of social media is, but with Twitter, I'm like, hello. And, you know, and, and um, but it's good for, for, for coordinating and, and meeting, connecting with authors and bloggers and editors, yeah. Twitter. Instagram, you're, you're, reaching bloggers and readers and that's so super cool um to interact with readers yeah which is what you what you want to do that's that's great um we'll put links to those places in the show notes as well georgina this has been so much fun chatting uh thank you for taking time to come on the show i appreciate you even having me and and thank you now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from richard glebe's the jason crane series they reverently slipped Jason's giant-size X-Men number one from its Mylar protector. Drinking in the sweet aroma of browning paper and three-color process that signals only the best and rarest and most wonderful of collectibles. On one page, Professor X raised his fingers to his temples and rallied his X-Men, his psychic commands radiating from his bald head like waves off hot asphalt. I have psychic powers, Owen blurted. I want Wolverine's claws. Jason was turning a page. Snick! Or, hey, get this, get this. Lightsabers poking out the backs of my hands. Or even, no, no, I'm totally serious. I have psychic powers. No, you don't. I do. Jason laid the comic on the bedspread. He sighed. Owen could be such a spaz sometimes. Okay, he said indulgently. What number am I thinking of? Stop! It doesn't work that way. What I can do is called a psychic reading, off an object, like getting impressions. When the doorbell rings, if I put my hand on the knob, as soon as I do, I know who's there. It's called looking through the peephole, moron. Shut up! And when I touch the phone, I know who's calling. I'm sure, Mr. Bullshit from Bullshit Mountain. Like my sister or my grandmother, I just know it's them. There's no such thing as psychics. Okay, you try. Don't be stupid. Are you chicken? Fine! Okay. He snatched up a brown paper bag, spotted with grease, and dumped a few stale french fries into the trash can. I'll put an object in this bag, and you try to guess what it is. Turn your back. Jason did, and heard a rustling behind his head. Okay, you can look now. Owen produced the bag. It was rounded with some object now. Don't touch yet. Just think. Try to imagine what's inside. Your lunch? Jason sneered. 
but he closed his eyes and tried to imagine. He could hear Owen's breathing. Jason's nose itched. His brain grew bored with nothing to look at, and fragments of images swam in and out of his imagination. Strawberry, he blurted. Owen reached into the bag, producing a white bowl. Jason had eaten frosted flakes from it about three days ago. A few stuck to it, like little beige fish scales. See? I lose. No, look here. Owen pointed. A design went around the sides of the bowl. A long string of vines and painted fruit. With strawberries. That's... Jason began, but didn't know how to end the sentence. It's cool. See? What did I tell you? Do it again. Jason closed his eyes. An image like daisies and sun and... Yellow, he blurted after three seconds. Oh my god, open your eyes! Owen held a bright yellow highlighter pen. I hadn't even put it in the bag! And so they went, for thirty minutes or more. A staple remover, a toy soldier, a sweat sock, a pencil... Jason never said precisely what was in the bag, but it was always close or related. He'd imagine a cockpit, and Owen would produce a game controller. He'd say, plate, and the object would be a CD. He made right angles with his pointer fingers, shrugging, only to have Owen pull out Eliza's knitting needles. His friend became more and more enthusiastic, but Jason became a little scared. You have a real gift, Owen said. You're, like, brilliant. Owen babbled for a long time about astral projection and ESP, how Jason was picking up signals from Owen's own psychic powers, which had obviously been doing the broadcasting. Owen left that night full of plans and experiments, vindicated in his beliefs. Jason sat on the bed after Owen left, thinking hard. He had no explanation for what he'd done, but he knew he hadn't faked it. He couldn't believe, but he couldn't deny, either.